All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the 119th Psalm. This is a verse that I came across just within the last weeks providentially. It has spoken to me into my life specifically over the years, but once again, it just became very clear to me. This particular truth found in the 71st verse of the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119. Just going to read the one verse. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Once again, it is good for me I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The title I've given to this message here this morning is The Purpose of Afflictions. Well, back in the 17th century, the great prolific writer Alexander Dumas wrote a number of well-publicized, now famous novels. And one of the most famous is the three-part series, the trilogy of the Three Musketeers. In the last installment of his writings on that subject, we are introduced to a man who is imprisoned with an iron mask, simply called the man in the iron mask. Now, this man was a real man, but to this day, no one knows exactly who he was, what his charges were. Everything is pretty much debatable, but Dumas took one of the ideas and made it into a more fictional version, a historic fiction. And of course, over the years in cinema and movies, it has been pretty much immortalized. The man in the iron mask. And in this version of the story, this man is imprisoned wrongfully and made to wear this iron mask so no one can see his face. In time, it turns out that this man, Felipe, the man in the iron mask, is the brother, the twin brother of the king of France, King Louis, who happens to be very wicked and very evil. So in the fictionalized story of the man in the iron mask, his identity starts to come out and he's rescued by three musketeers, brought into the throne room while the other king was abducted, the wicked king, his wicked brother, twin brother, was taken out. And as the story goes on, this man here, Felipe, becomes the most accomplished and successful king of France or that France has ever seen. A story with a happy ending. What I want to draw your attention to is much like Joseph in the Bible, is the period of time when he's in prison, but he does not know why he's there. He doesn't know what is his purpose, why he's falsely accused. We read the same thing of Joseph, his afflictions caused by the hand of his own brothers. And many times we are in a position in life where we just simply don't know why is this happening to me. And, and I know that many of you are not, but if you happen to be on a steady diet of teaching that always seems to just turn everything out all right, or you look to people who give you the impression that nothing goes wrong in their life, which I may say in way of passing is absolutely not true. Some of them I've known, a few of them I've met. You can't believe the messes that they're in when they come to the pulpit and then talk to you as though they don't have a care in the world and leave you with the impression that, why can't your faith be like mine? But I know that most of you are not on a steady diet of that type of teaching. The truth is, afflictions come. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. 
but the Lord delivereth him, her, out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But like our man Pierre, who has the iron mask, he doesn't know, Joseph doesn't know, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? And that's what I want to share with you today. The purpose of affliction. And let me just hasten to say this now. We must not be too quick to throw everything over to Satan. And God is pretty much, let me say it this way, in the clear. You remember the book of Job. Satan had to ask for permission from God to test Job the way he did. And certainly Job was a man of great afflictions, as is Jesus. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So we must be balanced and stick to the word of God that not everything is directly from the hand of Satan as though he was running around with God having no control over him and just coming to your rescue when you need him. Truth is, God does test his servants. Further, the Bible indicates that everyone who is a true son or daughter of God is going to be tried and tested. So you don't want to be in a position where you don't have any tests or trials because that would mean that you are not truly born of the Spirit of God. But if you have afflictions, that is normal and average. But let me also say this. What subject I'm not going to deal with is that when you put yourself into a place or a position through either ignorance or just plain disobedience to what this book says, those type of afflictions we cannot put to the hand of God. Or for that matter, even Satan. We put ourselves there, whether it was through ignorance because you've been told under my pastorate thousands of times, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But it's not just reading the Bible. You have to apply what you read. So I'm not going to talk about afflictions where we put ourselves there. I'm just going to simply talk about afflictions in general, however they come to us. That being the exception, that we put ourselves there. There is a purpose in your afflictions, and if you can find the purpose, it makes the affliction more bearable. Because you know at the end of it, as Job again said, you're going to come forth as pure as gold. It's a purifying process. It's a learning process. There's something for you to learn. Which, if I ever get to a quotation that I have for you, most things that we learn don't come from those things that bless us or make us comfortable. The best lessons, as we read in Ecclesiastes, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, because in the house of mourning, the countenance is made better. But that's not what we want. That's not what we want to hear preached. Well, at least some people don't want to hear it preached, but it is the Bible. And God has a purpose in our afflictions. I might say no matter how they've come about, there's still a purpose in it if we will apply ourselves to his word. I want to draw your attention to the verse that we just read. In Psalm 119 at verse 71, the psalmist says, It is good, that's present tense, that I have been afflicted, which may indicate, and I didn't look at the grammar for this, so, but it may indicate a past tense. And the purpose is given to us that I might learn thy statutes. It is good that I have been afflicted, that I might learn, let me colloquialize it and say how life works according to what you've written in the book. How life works in the sense of victory and overcoming, and I'll loosely use the word success by God's definition, not man's. It is good that I have been afflicted, 
that I might learn thy statutes. In my recent miseries in the last month or so, I've learned quite a lot. I really have. Not just spiritual principles, they're there too. I've learned a few other things that are very helpful. But it came through pain, and it came through suffering, and inconvenience, and so on. And that's not what we want, but that's what we need. Now, do not go home and ask God to afflict you. <laughs> it's not necessary, and you may find, as I did many years ago, he will accommodate you. Then your next prayer is, God, remove this. Which is going to be your prayer anyway, and it is mine as well. But I want you to notice the present tense, it is good, and what may be the past tense, that I have been afflicted. And then I'll change it just a little bit and take some liberty with the text, because I've learned your laws, your commandments, your precepts. I'm learning how life works. I'm learning about human nature. I'm learning about the nature of Satan. I'm learning about the nature of God, of yourself, and so on. There's a lot to learn through your pain, through your afflictions. This is the reason the Apostle Paul tells us that we should not be concerned or worried about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make our requests known unto God, and the peace of God shall guard our hearts and our minds. And that's really what we're after. Peace. Inner peace. So there's a purpose in your afflictions, and I want to just tell you not one, but two stories that I know my brother over here would know more about this than myself. The first story is of a man who was a concert-level professional violinist who played a Stradivarius, made by Antonio Stradivarius in the 17th century, beginning in the 1600s. Everywhere that he went playing the Stradivarius, of course, being a master musician, the people would ultimately say, what a beautiful sound from that instrument. He played before kings and queens, he played at churches, he played in concert halls, and always the response was the same. What a beautiful sound that comes from that instrument. One day, as the story goes, he was passing a pawn shop, and in there he saw an old violin, asked the owner how much he wanted for it. It was inexpensive. He went home, tinkered with it, and then when he went on the concert stage before all these people once again, they expecting those that knew, he plays a very rare instrument, and probably not one of, but the finest violin in the world, he would play from the old one he had doctored up, fixed, and people kept saying, what a beautiful sound is coming from that instrument. Simply put, that is the purpose in your affliction. That is the purpose in the discipline and chastening that God puts all of us through, all of us, no matter how it comes. It becomes Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we must not forget verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, them did he also, them did he also predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son. And that's the purpose. In small things, in great things. Things that test our patience just a bit. Things that test our patience right to the max. We are to learn Christ. God had a purpose in saving you. And that purpose, believe it or not, is not heaven. The purpose is to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Further, we cannot simply be contented with saying, Oh, I'm blessed. 
We must further understand that the purpose of God in your life is to make you a blessing. You cannot hide your light under a bushel. A city that's set on the hill such as this one is, you can't hide it. So perhaps today you may be wrestling with your purpose for life and God's purpose of life, and you're trying to bring the two together, and I'm here to tell you today, you cannot. As I've told you many times, God does not negotiate. Not on this. The purpose of salvation is not heaven. The purpose of salvation is to conform us into the image and likeness of his son. And though we enjoy the blessings of God in our life, we must remember that it is also appointed to all of us to some degree to be a partaker of his sufferings. My friend, this is Christianity. This is what we find in the Bible. We want the Bible in whole. There's a purpose in your afflictions which, generally speaking, is to conform you into the image and likeness of Christ, which would boil down to more patience and joy. Joy! In this hour of history, you know, it's, it's kind of rare to find a Christian that has real joy. Now, Israel is at war even as I speak. And we know about Palestine or Palestinians, and we know about the Lebanese and Iran and Iraq, but I want to tell you something here that I mean very sincerely. I gave you a message just a few weeks ago about Israel's past, their present, their future. And we support Israel. We are not only their allies here in America, but because of what we owe to the Jewish people through this Bible and the covenants made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the covenant of the land. I preached that to you a few weeks ago. Be cautious that you don't overdo it in that. Keeping in mind that God wants Palestinians saved. He wants people in Iran, Iraq. Lebanon, in China, there are tens of millions of Christians. You don't hear from them because of the government, the oppression they're under. We must not forget this. We must balance things, otherwise we get out of balance. And I'm just giving you a word of caution on that. We stand with Israel because of promises made to their fathers that brought us in. Most of us here are Gentiles, and we're grafted in. But we cannot forget that God so loved the world and the Gentiles are part of the promise of the new covenant. Please keep that in mind. Let me tell you the second story about a Stradivarius, which may help you to have a better appreciation of your afflictions based on the same exact theme. The story goes this way, and I can't validate the story I just told you, nor the one I'm about to tell you. I don't know. This is just what I read or heard. A man who owned a violin, an older violin, down on his luck, decided in order to just stay alive, he had to sell this violin for whatever he could get for it. Once again, found himself in a pawn shop, or it was brought to a pawn shop. Old violin, not worth much money. The man left there, he had nothing when he went in other than the violin. And when he sold it for a few bucks, just whisked off into the night to disappear, the owner of the store decided to just take a look at this instrument that he had bought for just a few dollars. He took a candle and he was looking at the instrument. And he peered into the inside. And there was the inscription, Antonio Stradivari. It was an original Stradivarius. A man who got just a few dollars sold an instrument, because I've looked them up, that are worth millions of dollars, some as high as $40 million now on the market today. 10, 20, you name it, they're very expensive. Made by a special craftsman who did such a superb job that to this very day, you can't afford to buy them. No, not many people can. And they're in museums to be protected. What I'm saying is this. No doubt you have a tendency to look at your life, oh, some do at least, and to say, well, I'm really not much of anything. 
You know, how could God use me? And I hear this old pastor, I don't know what my talents are and I don't know what my gifts are. But you must remember that when God redeemed you and you said yes, he inscribed his name in your life. That we, as the Bible says, we are his workmanship. And one of those things that he uses is afflictions. Any of you here that are proficient at anything, you worked hard. You labored to be what you are today in your area of expertise. I know that I did. And it didn't come easy. And I take issue with all of these advertisements and commercials that tell you how you can do something in just a couple minutes a day. It's just not true. Even with the modern age of technology, you still have to put effort into things and so on. We don't become the handiwork of God quite easily on our part. There are afflictions. And there would be no need for me today to ask you to raise your hand and say, how many of you are either under afflictions or just came through some afflictions and all of that? All you need to say is this. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Some of us have more and some of us have less, but it's still an affliction. You need to be able to repeat at Psalm 119 verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. But here's the caveat if you're actually learning his statutes. We don't want to hear verses about fear not. We want to be able to live it, to actually be unafraid. As an example, afflictions drive the fear out of you, not into you. But before the fear is driven out of you, you must face your fears. You must face the things that have been vexing you perhaps all of your life. And we want to be able to stand up and give glory to God. To be able to say, as you know, one of my very favorite Bible verses, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. I mean, really delivered me. Not theoretically delivered. And you're actually delivered. That you could testify if we did it this morning. You could testify and stand up and say, I just want to share with you, my brothers, my sisters, the things I used to be so afraid of. And they're gone now. They don't concern me anymore. That's what this is. That's what affliction is supposed to do, is to actually deliver you from sin and the propensity towards sin. Remember this verse, he that has suffered in his flesh has ceased from sin. To deliver you from your fears, to deliver you from your anxieties and your depressions and so on and so forth. These fires of our trials, which we call afflictions, sufferings, the purpose is to make us more Christ-like and drive out the dross that sometimes we're not even aware that it's there. This is one of the things that I learned in my afflictions. Things that in my life I was blind to. Now I have learned your statutes. I have learned what you have written. In the same psalm, if you want to turn there with me, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. And listen to this. And that thou, in faithfulness, hast afflicted me. Now, the affliction of David the psalmist is never mentioned. But again, balance your theology, people. Not everything comes from the hand of Satan, or at least it doesn't come without the permission of God. Let me read it again, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that thou, in faithfulness, has afflicted me. There's no Satan there. That's God taking direct responsibility, or at least the psalmist giving God direct responsibility. You afflicted me. We forget this about God. Verse 1, same Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way 
who walk in the law of the Lord. David starts out with that. And that's the purpose. 24 times in Psalm 119 is the words, thy word used. That's what it's all about. But again, let me just say this. It's not about just being able for you after many years to recite Bible verses. It's for you to be able to experience Bible verses, but you must play by the rules. It's got to be more than just reciting a scripture. It's learning the statute. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavily laden, I will give you rest. Are you restless today? Come to Jesus. But if you come to Jesus today in a month, six months, a year, two years from now, you're still restless. All you learned was how to repeat the words of Jesus. Listen to what he says, Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Listen. Take my yoke upon you, my yoke, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden light. That's the purpose of afflictions. It's not to increase the restlessness, though it does increase initially. It's to eradicate it. So that you can say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Content. He said, I have learned how to prosper. I've learned how to be humbled and abased. Then he goes on to say, I've learned that in whatever state I'm in, whether I'm doing very, very well or doing very poorly, whatever state I'm in, I've learned. Just as we read here and heard Jesus, I've learned to be content. That's the secret of peace. Contentment. Psalm 119 again, verses 5 and 6. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. So the purpose of affliction, generally speaking is to put into us the image and likeness of Christ. It's number two, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, not merely again, just to quote it from Galatians 5. And I've always been fascinated by the first three, fruit of the Spirit, written by an apostle, the apostle Paul, during a time of great oppression in the Roman government, where he ultimately would be crushed by the iron heel of Rome's boot. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. How do you have joy when everything's going wrong? Sort of like what we're living in today. Because it comes from God himself. And you learn it. It's not something that we do naturally. You learn in your suffering. You learn in your afflictions. You learn in your testings. Jesus. Love, joy, and peace. And I'll say this again. I'm not concerning myself with how many years we could talk about who's been in the Lord so many years. Wonderful. That's not really the point. The point is, who has really learned Jesus? Who has learned the secret of contentment without complaining? Now, I'm not saying here that I haven't done my share of complaining through the years, but I have learned to do it less and less and less. And as I mentioned to you before, when you say to me, hey, Pastor Ray, what's your backup plan for this, that, and the other thing? Well, I have a few backup plans, but there is no backup plan. God is my plan. When I first started ministry, that was my plan, to be full out on God and trust him that he would supply. And what do you think? 
After 46 years, he's always supplied. Am I now to think that he's so dependent on me that after 2,000 years he can't live without me? God is the backup plan. God is the plan. We pray in faith. God answers. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great, listen, show thee great and mighty things that you don't know about. We're so reliant on our knowledge and God says you have no clue to all the things that I can do. But I require faith. You are required to walk in the dark and just listen for my voice behind you saying this is the way. Walk in it. But you say I don't know where I'm going and God says I know where you're going. It's not important that you don't know where you're going. I know where you're going. And nothing in this universe including the church of Jesus Christ is dependent on man. Is dependent on the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he once said, It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. William Barclay was a preeminent biblical scholar, lived many years ago, and he and his wife were both grieved over the death of their 21-year-old daughter. She and her fiancé drowned in a boating accident. And you know, that raises a question. These things don't happen to real men of God, to real people of God. That's been a theme we've heard for way too long. They sure do, and it's in the book. During his period of grief, he received an anonymous letter. Barclay was Scottish. And the letter said to this great man of God, I know why your daughter died. God killed her to keep her from your heresies. Barclay's response was, had he had the address of the person that sent this anonymous letter, he said, I would have written back in pity, not in anger. Your God is my devil. And there's great wisdom in that. I went through a severe trial many years ago, and I was getting more anonymous letters from my own congregation, not from outside, than any preacher I've ever met to this day. I've never met a preacher who got more anonymous, not good ones. Call me this, call me that, call me this, call me that. And I'm grateful to God that these people, wherever they are today, are not here. Manifold are the blessings of God. And I remember spreading one of them out that was just laying out all my faults, perceived faults. Well, I was going through a very severe period, very difficult period, dark night of the soul. I remember laying out this letter before God like Hezekiah. And I said, God, you know who wrote this and I don't. Vengeance is yours. Well, you see, this is all part of the process, my friends. For a preacher, this is just part of how the game is played. Moses was blamed for getting the people of God into trouble between the devil and the deep blue sea. But Moses said, I didn't send us here. God sent us here. No matter. As much as we tell people, don't shoot the messenger, we shoot the messenger. Because we don't like the message. Such is human nature. The trials and afflictions of the average Christian, as the book says, are many. But the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. Now the question is this, do you believe that? Yes. My friends, in the future, we shall see. We shall see. For me, I'm endeavoring to push myself in as far as I can. And there's lessons for me to learn. And there's lessons for you to learn. We're all in the school of Christ together. So when affliction comes your way, and you look at God who has been blessing your life. He does both. And ultimately, his afflictions are a blessing. As we see the end of Job's life, chapter 44, how much more prosperous he was and blessed. 
But during the time of affliction, we remember the scripture that says, no discipline for the moment seems to be joyous, but grievous. It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. No affliction for the moment is happy. <laughs> when I went to the hospital just a few weeks ago for the second time, I have an average pulse in the 50s, has been that way all my life. Very low, sometimes high 40s. When my pulse was up at 122, not being used to this, and I was doubled over in pain, which the two are connected, but it wasn't a heart trouble, it was a stomach problem. I arrive at the uh, emergency room. I want to just let you know that the only thing that was beating faster than my heart was my wife's driving. If I was at 122, I swear she was at 132. Got me to that ER faster than any human being on the face of the earth. And it was a part of me that wanted to say, you could slow down just a little bit. I'm bouncing all over the place. I'm in a lot of pain here. And she was locked in. She was focused. And here's an interesting thing. I went into the ER with a rapid pulse, which the expert says, we don't worry about that. Notice we don't worry about that. We don't worry about that. We don't. I left in bradycardia. My pulse was back down in the 40s. God has told us that no affliction for the moment is joyous. But afterward, and I'll just change this just a little bit. Afterwards, we learn if we actually learn. And that's what I want to ask you today. Are you really learning? Or just quoting Bible verses, long prayers, which Jesus said, don't make your prayers so long. I mean, you're going to spend hours. But Spurgeon once again said a short prayer will reach the throne if you don't live too far away. Also, Jesus said that others, you know, outside, they think they're going to be heard because they're speaking so much. And Jesus said, don't be like them. What we need is true faith, that we really believe this. Whether your heart is racing or thumping out of your chest or you feel depressed or poor me, nothing ever works out for me. God will make it work out, but you must do the trusting. And that is not easy, my friend, when you're in distress. We all know that. Same Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 98. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I actually do what you instruct me to do. Notice this. He is wiser than the enemies, his enemies, has more understanding than his teachers, and understands more than the ancients because of thy word. You read through Proverbs, you learn a lot about human nature. And then you go through the Bible, and there's lesson after lesson after lesson that cannot be learned, because not everything here is subject to psychology or reason. It's revealed. We read again in the beginning of John's Gospel that Jesus did not commit himself to the people that were there in front of him at the time because he knew what was in man and did not need that any should testify of him. However, he says to you through the Old Testament, you are my witnesses. What is a witness? A witness doesn't go and say, this is what I read in the paper about the case. A witness stands up and says, this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. This is what I know is a fact of the case. My friends, I ask you again, is the Lord working in you in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit is appearing more and more and those other things that have troubled you for so long are being burned away, cauterized in a process that is not easy, but it works. It definitely works. 
When you have an opportunity, read Job chapter 5. I've referred you there before. I'll just read the opening verse. You can read all the promises attached to this in Job 5.17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. And then it goes through this. I'll just read this one more. He makes sore and binds up. He wounds and his hands make whole. Now read the rest of that later on from verse 17 to 26. And read all the promises attached to afflictions where the lesson is learned. And that's the thing. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste it. Have you been through all these trials for nothing? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years goes by and you haven't really made much progress in the maybe first six months? You're supposed to be learning, ever learning, ever learning about the goodness of God and the nature of God. But if you're not learning, my dear friend, find a place and get before God. And first of all, confess your unbelief. Confess your unbelief. That you've simply just not taken to heart the things you're reading in the book. And as someone has once said, one of my sons had a teacher, gave him a Bible. The inscription on the inside said this. Sin will keep you from this book. And this book will keep you from sin. It's a good word. We don't want to just be able to quote it. We want to say, I know whom I've believed. I've shared with you that I have books in my library, several of them actually on different topics by different authors. I not only have read the book and know the material, I know the author or authors plural. And that's the thing here. You can say you read the Bible and you know the material, but do you know the author? And to simply say, well, receive Christ as your savior is how we phrase it. But it means that Jesus, the Spirit of God, is now infused or engrafted into your soul. And you are one with the Father and with the Son and with the Spirit. And that manifests itself in time. I have never been able to identify clearly who originated this statement that I've used for years. But it's still one of my favorites. The man with an experience is never at the mercy of the man with an argument. You know, I've had, let's say, debates Argument conjures up a lot of anger and shouting. I don't do that. So I've had debates with people or lucid conversations. And at the end of it, it really doesn't much concern me what they try to do to convert me. Because I am the man with an experience. And more than one. For instance, when I started college years ago, just a year or two into my walk with the Lord, some of the people in my class at the community college there in radiology knew me and some just simply knew of me. Then they found out I was one of these born-again Christians. So, of course, the jokes and the teasing goes on. One man, young man at the time, says to me, he says, I want to tell you something. Before we finish this program, two-year program, before we finish this program, I'll have you smoking pot with me. And I said, no, you got it all wrong. Before we finish this program, I'll have you in church with me. <laughs> Look at the world's trying to convert us. Come back to Egypt. Remember the leeks and the onions you were slaves, but it was better than this Moses character that's leading you. I mean, he doesn't know what he's doing and so on. Well, that proved to be a big mistake. Those who kept saying, make us a captain and lead us back to Egypt. Well, that wasn't going to happen. And you know why it wasn't going to happen? Because God has a plan for Israel. But please, I want to balance this again. Do not forget. He has a plan for Palestine or the Palestinians, Lebanese. Iranians, there's millions of believers in Iran and Iraq as well, not to mention Egypt, the Coptic church. We must not forget this. We are preachers of the word to the world. Amen. To the world, to every human being. We must not become inadvertently prejudiced in our views. In any case, the man with an experience is never at the mercy of the man with an argument. 
And I want to read something to you from the preeminent preacher, Chicago pastor A.W. Tozer, on the subject of afflictions. He wrote these words, But Paul's trials yield for us more than this negative kind of blessing. They also teach us positive lessons to help us to endure affliction by that well-known psychological law by which we are able to identify ourselves with others and, quote, have our griefs while we double our joys. That means, well, he's going to explain. It is always easier to bear what we know someone has borne successfully before us. Examples. That's what we have in the Bible here. We don't have people who had an easy life. We read of people that had it very difficult, but overcame. From the trials and triumphs of Paul, we gather two that happiness is really not indispensable to a Christian. Listen to that. Happiness. There are many ills worse than heartaches. It is scarcely too much to say that prolonged happiness may actually weaken us. Now think about that. I quoted that earlier from Ecclesiastes. It is scarcely too much to say that prolonged happiness may actually weaken us, especially if we insist in so doing that we try to avoid those spiritual responsibilities which would in the nature of them bring a certain measure of heaviness and affliction to the soul. It means that we avoid difficulties and hard things. We had our CE director just say we need help. And I was thinking through my head without mentioning it to you, but I'll mention it now. How many people are going to actually respond? Statistically, it won't be many. And I'm praying that this will change. I would ask you, and I say this respectfully, don't come here just to listen to something that gives you a temporary adrenaline or dopamine release. Come here to learn Christ. And to learn Christ is going to mean afflictions and trials. As Tozer is saying here, it is the nature of man to avoid something that they know is going to be a difficulty. But he goes on. The best thing is neither to seek nor seek to avoid troubles, but to follow Christ and take the bitter with the sweet as it may come. Whether we are happy or unhappy at any given time is not important. That we be in the will of God is all that matters. We may safely leave with him the incident of heartache or happiness. He will know how much we need of either or both. Tozer was a great, great pastor, great man of God. So my theme has been, and of course it's a very extensive subject, I'm just going over some general principles, that there's a purpose in your affliction. And I hope today, if you've not found any other purpose in your affliction other than to complain, start to, listen, this is what I teach others. It's okay to report your afflictions. Complaining is a different avenue. If you can report, as I've reported to you, this is what's going on in my life, I'm reporting. I'm not complaining. Because I know that God is good. And I know that he will rescue me. And he's going to have his will one way or the other. So thy will be done. And I expect him to rescue me out of my afflictions. But in the meantime, as long as I know I'm in the center of God's will, I'm fine. I'm fine. I ask you again, are you learning anything in your afflictions? You see, I came here today specifically to provoke you. Which you must admit I'm pretty good at. I had a man call in from the radio one time, just wanted to say how he was blessed by the messages, and he said, boy, you know, the people that sit in front of you, they must love you to listen to that every week. Well, I said, well, they do. I, I suppose that they do. I'm here to provoke you and provoke you good. What are you learning 
What are you learning in your afflictions? What are you learning in your troubles? What are you learning in your sorrows? And if all you do is just circle the wagons with complaining and hiding and draw in the shades and hope it's all over, and even the rapture. We cannot use the rapture as some type of mystical escape. Now, you know what we believe here about that. But it's not designed any more than a monastery is designed to hide and sequester people from real life. I mean, people may do that, but that's not what they were designed for. We're not designed to avoid the gates of hell. We were designed to attack them. To attack them. I want to take a 9G turn here in this message because something came up that I thought was very relevant to all of you and it's at the heart of the very nature of how we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. In 1829, two men robbed a mail carrier. I don't know all the specifics, but they committed six federal crimes that were worthy of death. So it had to be pretty, pretty severe, 1829. One man's name was George Wilson. The other was William Porter. They were brought to trial. They were found guilty and they were sentenced to death by hanging. In due course, from May to July, trial was in May. Proctor was hung in July, 1829. In the meantime, George Wilson had some friends that were influential and made a great appeal to powerful people, which eventually reached the desk of Andrew Jackson, then president of the United States. Jackson granted Wilson a full presidential, full pardon. When the news was brought, good news was brought to Wilson that he was granted a full presidential pardon by Jackson, he refused it. He wanted to die. He didn't want a pardon even from the President of the United States. Having refused the pardon, the Attorney General at the time wrote this, the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property. He may accept it or not as he pleases. And then again, a pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. But delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in court to force it on him. He was granted his wish. He was hung. Now, why? I don't know. But you see, all the promises of God are granted to you by a decree in the heavens from the Creator. You're saved by grace. You should be attending church on Sundays, Lord's Day, but you're not saved by that. Some of you have done great works here in this church and other places, but you're not saved by that. Some of you have a great prayer life. You're not saved by that. Some of you know more of the Bible than other people in this church, but you're not saved by that. You're saved by grace alone. Amen. Through faith alone. It's not faith plus something. It's faith alone. It's grace alone. And you have the right to reject that pardon. You have the right to say to the President of the United States, or in this case, the King of Kings, I'll work it out myself. But the King of Kings is saying, no, you won't. Accept my pardon by grace, by faith, as every other one of my sons and daughters have done, or you don't get it at all. And though this seems to be a departure from afflictions and the purpose of the message, purpose of afflictions, you see, everything is done by God's grace. Why do we pray? If you don't expect that God's going to answer, why do you even pray? Oh, Lord, heal me. If there's not an expectation that he is actually going to heal you, why do we pray? Granted, God can overrule for his own purposes, but... 
The standard principle is that when we pray, we believe. And when you are born again, you are saved by nothing that you've done. Nothing. And you're not being cast into hell by all the things you have done. Amen. It's a full presidential pardon. But if you are George Wilson, you're saying, well, you know, I have doubts about that. Better think it through. Because what you are now in is in opposition to this word. You're in opposition to what Jesus taught, the apostles taught, the prophets taught. You're in opposition. There's only one way. To have the grace of God and the mercy of God is by faith. The just shall live by his or her faith. So let me summarize by saying this to you. There's probably not a better tool in Satan's toolbox of temptations than what I spoke to you some time ago, discouragement, but its corollary is despair. For the love of Mike, stop listening to the media. They have no prophetic revelation. I don't mean don't keep up on the news. I do. I have no interest in watching it for hours on any subject. Now, you may differ, and that's fine. I'm just telling you where I'm at. If I'm going to spend hours, it's going to be here, where my soul can be encouraged and strengthened, as well as my body and everything else about me. When Satan can get you in despair, that's what he uses. Despair. You are issued a full presidential pardon by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but you don't accept it. You don't believe it. Or you have and you are shunning your duty and your responsibility in an hour when we can hear Jesus knocking at the door. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, I've shared with you many times. You know what the greatest temptation I face is? It's not adultery. I don't steal, so it's not your money. It's retirement. If Satan's going to dangle anything in front of my mind, he's going to say, now look at this here. And think through the reports and the doctors and all this stuff. And you can take it easy and still help people. See, that's the temptation. When Pharaoh was saying, okay, you can go, but not everybody. Moses said, no, we're going with everybody and everything. There was no compromise. By the way, I'm not suggesting that you and your trade, whatever you do or did, shouldn't retire. I understand not everything is like what I'm doing. And I will retire if it's God's will. But that just doesn't seem to be the logical thing to me. God knows, but it doesn't seem to be. It took me 46 years just to figure out what I'm doing. And now that I can be the biggest benefit to you, the carrot is dangled down. If I retire, I'm changing my phone number, my email address. You will never see me again, ever, until we're beat on the other side, ever. Because I'm a full-in guy either way. But I'm believing God to keep me strong like Caleb. So that gives me roughly another 11 years to reach that point when I can say, I'm taking that mountain because I'm just as strong now as when I was when we first came out of Egypt. That's my faith. And you know what? I'm bold enough to say, you should share it with me. You should share the same faith. Not to be a quitter. Not to be trembling. Here comes the enemy. Oh, scared. Meet it face on. Men, act like men. Be a man. Act like a man. Talk like a man. Ladies do the same thing except be a lady. You know how I'm standing here today? Through your prayers and faith. That's it. And through your prayers and faith, I'll continue to stay here. If you just keep in mind what I told you, I'm limited in what I can do now at this stage of my life. And keeping in mind that, like the Walendas brothers, you know, the family, there's no net. Harry Blondin that went across Niagara Falls. So don't come to me about plans. I just gave you the plan. God is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. 
That's the plan. So I'll end with a question and a prayer. You don't have to tell anybody else, and especially if you have doubts. My question for you as your pastor, what are you learning? You know from those of you who've watched my show on anxiety and depression, fear can create a vicious cycle, which only creates more fear. Is that what you're learning? That's not what you want to learn, how to create more fear, more symptoms, more tension, more distress, more panic attacks, more anxiety. You want to learn how to break that cycle through faith and learn Christ. What I mean by learning Christ, I don't mean here academically. I mean it's now deep on the inside. It's a great thing. When we go to prayer right now, I want you to ask yourself, what am I really learning? What am I learning? Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know it's going to be a lot of hands, if not all the hands. Afflictions, stress, problems, on and on and on. I will admit to you, I am frequently, almost daily, in a position that I really don't know what to do. I got so many things. My wife and I both, there's so many things coming our way all the time. I don't know. So I pray the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I'm asking you to ask yourself, what are you learning? What are you learning? Doesn't matter what you're facing today, sickness and disease, just keep in mind that Jesus is still the healer. You're worried about whether you're going to go to heaven. Well, you better accept that presidential pardon. Don't be like George Wilson. What is it today that's troubling you? What is it today that's bothering you? Habits, what are you learning? And how are you able to say, I'm stepping out further and further every day out of myself? I'm having breakthroughs, not breakdowns. I'm stepping out of myself and I'm learning that I'm walking in newness of life. The Spirit of God has more room inside me now, so to speak, to fill me even more because some of the junk is being removed. And God has more work to do as well. What are you learning? That's the question. Why don't you ask that one more time to yourself? What is the lesson? What am I learning? And I will pray for you and with you that God will help you in these last days. Father, I pray with my friends, for my friends, and I ask you, God, to help them. For some who don't quite get the lesson, help them to learn it. Help them to see that there's something in the Bible that relates to their affliction, that they're to learn. Mostly it's just trusting you more and more and more. Being led by your spirit, not by symptoms, nervous symptoms and other symptoms of the body and of the mind. Pour out your spirit, Father, on your church worldwide, everywhere. Pour out your spirit. And touch here at Time for Truth that everyone that comes in would be learning. And more and more will stand up and rise to the occasion in service to the King. Pour out your spirit of comfort and assurance, God, granted by that presidential pardon. We're free and saved by faith. We don't walk by our feelings, by our symptoms, by our sorrows. We walk by faith. Pour out your spirit today, Father, on my friends. Bless the time that we have remaining here in our fellowship in our time together. And be like those written in the book, those that fear the Lord, speak often one to another. Let your people leave here encouraged, not discouraged, nor in despair, nor in grief. Bless our food. Bless our time together, God. Help us to have good fellowship, even as your book says in the 133rd Psalm. Help us to have a time together that's enjoyable and puts the shine back on our spirits in this dark world. And I pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.